Thanks, Faye. Well, good morning. Welcome to Flash. I mean, Rich Stop. Sorry. Uh, Rich Stop Church. My name is Robert, and uh, I get the pleasure of pastoring this church that's been around 14 months. It's pretty awesome to see what God uh, has done. It was fun to tell some of the neighbors who came to our party on uh, Friday night, and they're like, this church's been here a long time, right? I'm like, well, the building's been here a long time, but, but the congregation has been here for 14 months. So it's been exciting to see what God has done. There's been a genesis of sorts that uh, we've got to, to behold. Speaking of genesis, we've been going through genesis. Um, and I call this the genesis of everything. And the reason I did that is because we're literally in the beginning of genesis getting to see the genesis of the universe, of reality, seen and unseen. Uh, but we're also getting to see the genesis of human sin and what that has caused. And we're also getting to see the genesis of the unfolding plan of God to remedy the problem uh, of sin. And so we're, we're getting to this place in Genesis where we, we, we get to see at least a glimmer of that plan being executed. And uh, this, is the, this is the last in the series, okay? So we've, we've, we've looked at the, the genesis of these things. If you remember back in the beginning of the, fir- of, the, of the book, we see the genesis of the universe, just like I said before, Genesis 1, in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see things go from uh, formless to formed. We see things go from void to filled. We see things go from darkness to light. Human beings end up being the pinnacle of that created order, and they're entrusted with the stewardship of the universe. They're commissioned to bring about human thriving and with goodness and truth and beauty, really, in the entire cosmos. Human beings instead bring disorder into that creation through sin, and they usher in a condition known as death. The effects of sin, that is death, is not creating something new, but the disordering of something created and good. The disorder is ultimately shown in the breakdown of relationships between human beings and God, human beings and their their own selves, human beings and each other, human beings and the earth. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we're left with this lingering question, uh, whether... God will, or if he will, how he will put things back in order. Uh, It's a a deadly chaos that we see that breaks out in Genesis 3. It's a little bit, spiritually speaking, like looking at Gaza City and wondering, how could these ruins ever become a city again? And so spiritually speaking, we have an absolute chaos. There's a brief mention in Genesis 3 of an offspring that might come and become a sin and Satan crusher, but it's vague, and it's hard to know what exactly is being talked about there in Genesis chapter 3. This offspring talk seems to be brought forward in a lot of talk about birth, and we see this in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, there are lots of these kinds of birth stories in the Bible. It's actually what we're going to do the next four weeks, these four weeks of Advent. We're going to look at birth stories. 
in the Bible. Little, little teaser there. Uh, it's a prominent thread that you see over and over and over again that God is promising a birth in the, the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And that baby is going to be a family. That family is going to be a nation. That nation is going to bless the nations of the world. And this birth is going to be an extraordinary birth, right? Genesis 12, the first time this promise is rolled out, uh, Abraham's like age 75, uh, and God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Already we know this is going to be an extraordinary birth. I mean, I mean, Abraham's 75, Sarah's around 65, and then nothing happens. Nothing happens. There's no baby. Then in Genesis 15, we see a covenant-making ceremony that God makes uh, with Abram, his name at that time, and we read this, Genesis 15. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then nothing. Ten years passes. Abraham and Sarah's faith starts to falter. They decide God needs some help to fulfill the promise. Of the birth. Genesis 16, 1. Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. It's interesting how she says that. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. That was not what God had in mind. These two are languishing in their faith. Still, God does nothing. Fourteen years pass. Abram, he's 99. God reaffirms the promise at age 99. This time, not a ceremony, but a sign of this covenant. Genesis 17, this was last week. I'll bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? God's adamant. He just makes a promise. He gives a ceremony. He gives a sign. He just keeps reaffirming the promise over and over for 25 years. And Abraham and Sarah are looking at God going, we're not getting any younger here, God. I mean, this was kind of crazy 25 years ago. It's really crazy now. The promise seems ridiculous on its face. And it just gets more ridiculous as each day passes. But God is relentless, restating his unmet promise over and over and over again until it's laughable. 
but it's like a politician making promises or so it seems. Oh, I'm going to bring world peace. I'm going to solve all the problems in the economy. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to have a baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's not a laugh of joy. It's a laugh of cynicism. And it just bubbles up. Not only in Abraham, but bubbles up in Sarah. This is the passage you just heard read, Genesis 18, verse 9, page 12. Track with me. It'll help if you look in the, in the Bible. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they've been visited by these messengers from God. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord, the Lord said, catch that, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this next time, next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I mean, it's a, pain, it's a, it's a painfully funny scene. Elderly Sarah hiding in the tent. She's trying to listen in on what these messengers are saying to her husband. What she hears is that tired old talk about a baby being born in her 90-year-old womb. And she laughs. It's ridiculous. Now, Sarah is learning something about God. You can't hide from God. <laughs> and so even though she laughs to herself, God hears the cynical laugh. And he asks a question, right? Verse 13, again, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now, we've seen throughout Genesis, God loves to ask questions. Here he is doing it again, asking a question. Why did she laugh? Hey, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh when I said that a 90-year-old postmenopausal woman was going to have a baby? Why, why is she laughing? Guys, this is a glimpse into the heart of God. This is a glimpse. He seems like outlandish, doesn't he? He's a little crazy. He's a little wild. He is. He is those things. Jesus, God in the flesh, was those things. Jesus and his disciples are staring in the face of 5,000 people, and they need food, not now, like yesterday. And this is what happens. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said, to the, and he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. How are we going to feed these people? A life-threatening storm nearly capsizes the boat that Jesus and the disciples are in. And Jesus is taking a power nap. The disciples freak out. Luke 8, 24, they went, they woke him. They say, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke, rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? He's wild. <laughs> He's crazy. Good crazy, of course. 
In that same chapter, Luke 8, Jesus is called to, to tend a young girl who's deathly ill. He doesn't arrive in time. She dies. And here's how he responds when he gets news of her death. Luke 8, verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. There's no euphemism. There's no, oh, she passed away. She's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping, and they were mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. She's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed. They laughed at him. Knowing that she was dead. I mean, come on, Jesus, don't you know a dead body when you see one? <laughs> they laugh. Why do we laugh? Why do we laugh when the Lord says he's going to feed thousands, or he's going to calm storms, or he's going to raise dead girls, or he's going to bring a baby out of a 90-year-old womb? Rules are different for him. He's not just the creator of reality. He is reality. The rules are different. And this is God's response to Sarah and her laugh. Verse 14 of Genesis 18. Another question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I think the correct answer is no. I'm fairly certain that's the answer. Not only that, but Abraham and Sarah are in covenant with the Lord, the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God, who not only created reality, is reality. Abraham and Sarah are the forefather and the foremother of the people of God, and God is attempting to set the DNA of faith deep into their souls. Because this is what he wants from the people of God, that there would be people that live by faith. God's attempting to set the DNA in Abraham and Sarah. That faith will be tested, it'll be tried, it'll be formed, it'll be reformed throughout the ages. But here is where it's being planted. This is what God wants. This is what the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God wants from us. He wants faith, trust in, reliance Upon we read in the book of Hebrews as he talks about Abraham and Sarah. And they're like the poster children for faith. Hebrews eleven eight 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that was, has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now Sarah gets in on the action. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is, this is the response that God is calling forth from his people. Faith, to trust in, to rely on, to put the full 
force of your life now and forevermore on the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. He's not looking for cynical laughs. Anybody struggling with cynicism in the room? I am. It's pretty easy to fall into the cynical laugh. Creeps into our hearts. It's so easy. You're walking through a world that's fallen, that feels like a dead womb, incapable of bringing forth life. God can free me from my addiction or my depression or my anxiety. (laughs) God can heal that broken or apathetic relationship that I have with my fellow Christian brother or sister. (laughs) God can reach those who are far from him in Muslim Palestine or post-Christian Europe or de-churched cynical Austin. (laughs) God can plant new churches in This neighborhood and other neighborhoods throughout the city. Really? God can significantly reach college students at UT and St. Ed's and Concordia and Austin Community College and Houston Tillerson and throughout North America. God speaks into the formless and void and dark of our cynicism. And he says, is anything too great for the Lord? I need that. I need to hear that. Because cynicism can creep in to my heart just like that. Is God at work? Not so sure. Now, when he asks Sarah the question, he doesn't wait for an answer, but instead he goes right into another reaffirmation of his unmet promise. He says, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. Uh Uh-oh, we're getting specific. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. And he's saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Ha! (laughs) And of course, God always does what he says. So flip a few pages to page 14, Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and he bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. The writer Moses is not just writing the facts. He's interpreting the facts. And he's saying, you see these facts right here? You see God made this promise? You see he made good on this promise? I want you to know every time he says he's going to do something, he does it. He does it. Let, let, let that push that cynicism out of our hearts this morning. He says, let there be light. There's light. He says, let there be a baby in a dead womb. There's a baby. This is what we see in the unfolding story of Genesis. We can know 100%, with 100% certainty, that he will do what he says. Now, depending on your upbringing... As you see this unfold, you may expect God to then shame these two stumblers in the faith. Some kind of, I told you, I told you what I was going to do, and I did it. Don't you ever disbelieve me again, right? 
That's not at all what happens. Look at, look at Genesis 21.3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. More laughing. More laughing. So much laughing that she names her son laughing. This is what Isaac literally means. It means laughter, her cynical laughter by the grace of an almighty and loving God has become the laughter of joy. (laughs) It's such a beautiful picture of a relationship with God where she has been brought into this new place with God, a new place of joy. There's so much to learn here for us in regards to what it means to live by faith. Here's at least three things, because every sermon's got to have three points, but there's a lot more here than these three things, but I think these are things that, at least for me in my own meditation on this story this week, these are things that, that were very helpful to me. So one, people who live by faith are always learning how to forsake self-reliance and embrace reliance on God. Forsaking and following. This is a, I, I use this to try to explain the life of faith a few weeks ago. Forsake and follow. This is what we see in Abraham and Sarah's life. Forsaking self-reliance, embracing reliance on God. God is insistent on writing a supernatural story in the lives of his followers. He's insistent on this. And we keep defaulting to natural means. This is what we see in Abraham and Sarah's story. They default to trying to come up with an offspring through natural means. And God's like, no, that's not what I want. (laughs) I want to do a supernatural thing. Keep trusting me. Keep relying on me. I want to do something that requires full-hearted reliance on God. And, And Abraham and Sarah are learning this. And it gets ugly in the midst of it. And it always is. It always is ugly (laughs) as we learn full reliance on God. We do this uh, self-reliance thing. Every time we turn solely to ourselves in any kind of situation, small or large. I mean, some of you college students, you're about to to go through uh, finals this week. Some of you are really tempted to turn into yourselves, solely rely on yourself to get through this week. You kind of become functional atheists for a week. Got to just grind it out. I'll be a Christian next week. Don't do that. Don't do that. Turn toward God in faith. Rely on Him. Now, yes, you've got to study and you've got to prepare. I'm not saying He's going to drop the the answers down in your brain. But don't do it in that self-reliant way. Do it in a God reliant way. We get in a difficult human relationship sometimes, oftentimes, and we're so tempted to just solely turn toward ourselves, and we'll either like double down and try to get control, or we'll just run away. Don't do that. Don't don't rely on your, rely on God in faith. Um, financial needs, 
right? So tempted to just rely on self, but the call is to turn to God and rely on Him. Mental and physical health struggles. Sometimes we just think, well, ah, He doesn't care about this stuff. I got to really do this myself. And He's saying, no, come, rely on me. Turn your, yourself to me. Put your faith in me. Uh, some of us say no to ministry opportunities because it's just like, oh, I don't have the, the strength to do that. I, I, don't, I can't do that. Well, you're right. You can't, not in your natural self. God's trying to write a supernatural story here. <laughs> so you turn toward opportunities that he's calling you to and do so in faith. Saying no to, to generosity of giving, material things, giving of your time. You're just like, oh, I, can't, I, I can't do that. No, th this is the story he's writing. He's, he's writing a story whereby you're doing things you could have never done in your own strength. And as you trust him, rely upon him, he meets you in that place and he writes a supernatural story. We, we want to say with the psalmist in Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's who we're trusting in and relying upon. I, I found my cynicism to some degree being washed away a few weeks ago as I heard a young woman named Penny giving her testimony. And I was at my parents' church. I'm, I'm never at my parents' church, hardly ever. They, they live southwest of San Antonio, and I happen to be there. And I'd been there a few other times on a Wednesday night, and I'd been there because I was asked to be the guest preacher. And so one of the nights that I was there, a young woman named Penny came down, and um, this was like five years ago, and she came down after the service. She said, I want to become a Christian. And then she started telling me her story, and she's like, I'm addicted to meth, and she, you know, I could see her, she, most of her teeth had fallen out. She was really struggling in a really hard, dark place. And she's like, I want to become a Christian. My dad was with me, and we listened to her story. We shared the gospel with her. She says, yes, I want that. And she prayed, and we prayed, and she cried, and she walked away. And I'm going to be honest. As she walked away, cynicism is what, what was welling up in my heart. And I just thought, yeah, she'll just go right back. She'll go right back to that life, I'm sure. Well, she didn't. She was radically changed. For the last five years, she's been growing as a disciple. And on this particular night that I was there a few weeks ago, she's giving a testimony in the service. And I'm going to my dad, is that Penny? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's that woman. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so her, basically her testimony was her opening up her prayer journal and saying these simple little prayers that she had prayed. She's like, four years ago, I prayed this prayer for this person who was also a meth addict. Of course, you know them because they're on the third row, and they've been worshiping with us for the last three years. Their lives have been changed by Jesus. I'm going, wow, that's amazing. She wasn't done. She's like, then I prayed this two years ago about my aunt and uncle, and I really wanted them to, to be a part of this church and be in Christ. Oh, but you know them because they're over here on the third row. <laughs> I'm like, wow, two stories. She wasn't done. She was like, and, and there's another prayer here. This was a year ago. This was for my husband, and he was also an addict. And you know him here because he's on the fifth row right there. I was, like, I was so encouraged and convicted. I'm like, God, God just like, hey, Robert, 
Why don't you pray some prayers like that? She was putting me and the whole room to shame with her spiritual power. She was just simply trusting and relying on the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he was answering her prayers. So forsake, forsake self-reliance and embrace reliance on God. Our little grinchy, cynical hearts need to hear the wild-eyed God say, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right answer? No. Right? Number two, people who live by faith are always learning to forsake impatience and embrace expectant waiting. Right? Because you hear that first point and you're like, sweet, I'm going to pray tonight and tomorrow my friend's life's going to be changed. Maybe not. Maybe so. But maybe not. This is why you need the second point. That you forsake impatience and you embrace expectant waiting. I don't like to wait. You like to wait? I don't, I don't, maybe you like to wait. I don't like to wait. I read this book one time. This guy said, as a spiritual discipline, when he's at the grocery store, he looks for the longest line and the slowest clerk, and he gets in that line as a discipline. I ain't doing that, okay? <laughs> I'm not doing that, right? And Melanie's worse than me. Like, she's looking, she's looking for the fast lane, right? right? We're not, we're, we're just, that's just not how we're, we're going to roll. Now, it, this is not just a grin and bear it waiting, right? This is not an inactivity. This is an expectant waiting. This is an expectant waiting. We're expecting the, the, the living God to do what he promised he was going to do. We're in covenant with him, and we can trust him. We can rely on him. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be crass, but Abraham and Sarah live in the light of God's promise by continuing to have sex even when they're in their 90s. This, this, this is how... This is how they're having to be faithful. And honestly, I'm not sure they're having all that much sex because Sarah mentions it. She's like, am I going to have pleasure? I'm like, Sarah, how are you going to have a baby if you and Abraham aren't having some romantic evenings together? Like, what's, what are you doing? Come on, let's go. And evidently, after that meeting with the, with the messengers, Abraham put the candlelight on and some music, and uh, voila, we got Isaac. So, um, but there was an expectant waiting, all right? And you say, man, 25 years, that's a long time. It ain't nothing compared to the, some of the waiting that the people of God are going to have to do. This is what I mean when it, he's putting in the DNA of faith into this forefather and this foremother because it's going to be carried forward. Like one of the waitings is going to be 400 years in Egypt. Ten generations waiting for God to show up. Forty years of wandering in the desert after they get out of the 400-year experience in Egypt. Seventy years in exile that they're waiting. And 2,000 years starting with Abraham of waiting for the Messiah to come. I know we don't like it, especially in the modern age, but God's into waiting. And so forsaking impatience and embracing expectant 
waiting. This is partly what we're doing with this Advent season, putting ourselves in the place of Israel, waiting for the Messiah, seeing this ongoing increase of light as we wait for the coming of the Christ child. And then number three, forsaking the joylessness of unbelief and embracing the joyfulness of faith-filled living. Rejecting, forsaking joylessness of unbelief and embracing the joyfulness of faith-filled living. There is joy to be had in this life of faith, both in the now and the not yet. There's joy to be had in this life of faith, both in the now and the not yet. Now, we get it that there's joy whenever God fulfills the promise. That's not hard. (laughs) Isaac shows up. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's full of joy. They're naming the kid laugh. You know, like, that makes sense. But what about in the not yet? What about when you're waiting? What about that joy? And there's joy in that waiting time for at least two reasons. Not the only reasons, but here's two reasons. One is that you're in the relationship with the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. There's joy just in the fact that you're in that relationship with him. Israel's constantly celebrating the one-way, unconditional love that they've experienced in covenant with God. Even has a special word for the love. Has said is the Hebrew word for this unconditional, one-way, loving uh, love of God. You see it throughout the psalm. Psalm 136, 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then the, the, the congregation says, For his steadfast love, that's hesed, endures forever. You're like, wait a minute, are you saying that you're saying God's good, that, that you love God because he did something? They're like, no, he's just good. This is who he is. And they, 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 they give that declaration of his steadfast love. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. They're just, they're just glad to be in covenant relationship with God. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. They're just celebrating being in a covenant relationship with God. Now, the rest of the, of the psalm does have things that God did, and they keep saying, your steadfast love, Lord. Look, not only are, are, are we excited about who you are and that we're in covenant with you, but we can see the things you've done. And just over and over and over, they're celebrating being in covenant relationship with God. But secondly, there can be joy in the, the not yet and the, and the waiting because we can borrow joy from the future fulfillment. We can borrow joy from the future fulfillment of the promise. Um, this is the joy of Advent, right? Like we, there's, there's joy here. It's not as much joy as Christmas Eve, but we can borrow from the joy of Christmas Eve because we know Christmas Eve is coming. I mean, I, I feel like about this way about Christmas in general. Like the anticipation of Christmas is much more joyous than the day to me. <laughs> the day is so quick. But to be able to set up the tree and have like, you know, 25 days or so of, of, of just anticipating the decorations now, with God, the fulfillment is actually greater than the anticipation. But there is great joy in the anticipation of the fulfilled 
promise. Abraham and Sarah are borrowing joy from the fulfillment of the, of the promise that they're one day going to have a baby. But not only that they're going to have a baby, that baby is going to become a family that's going to become a nation that's going to become a blessing to all the nations of the world. They're, they're able to borrow joy from that promise. Israel is able to, to, to borrow joy from the promises made by the prophets about the coming Messiah. And so they're able to, to draw from that and bring it back into the here and now as they're waiting for the coming Messiah. We get to have joy both looking back and looking forward. We ought to be the most joyous people of the people of God. Because we're looking back at the joy, the death, burial, and resurrection that's already occurred. And we're looking forward to the future joy of the restored creation that Christ is going to accomplish when he returns. we got joy on both sides. <laughs> and so it gives us this, this joy that we can draw from what he did for us at the cross and what he's going to do for us. And we pull that into the here and the now. So when that, that cynicism creeps in, that unbelief creeps in, pull, pull from those, uh, those poles of what he's already done and what he is going to do into the here and the now as you find yourself in this time of waiting. Um, we don't want to be saying to ourselves, in the words of Taylor Swift, you're on your own, kid. You always have been. No, that, that's not what we're saying. We're hearing, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what we're hearing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If, if you are a Christian, you're not on your own, kid. God is present. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. You, you look at the, the chaos, not only of your own life, but the chaos of the world, and you think, we're on our own. Nope, we're not. There's nothing too hard for the Lord, both in the now and in the not yet, definitely. And we can draw hope, we can draw joy from that fulfillment. But if you're not yet a Christian, you are, you are on your own, kid. But the Lord, in which nothing is too hard for Him, is reaching out to you today. <laughs> He's inviting you into covenant relationship with Him. He's paid an incredibly high price of the divine Son of God's death on the cross to pay for sin so that you can be forgiven and draw you in to covenant relationship, whereby you're not alone. You're actually in relationship with a covenant-keeping, covenant-making God for whom there is nothing too hard, even saving you, which on the, on the face of it looks pretty hard. But he does it. And he draws you into relationship with him. So if you've not yet received that gift, I want to encourage you to do that by faith. This is how you get into this relationship with God. It is by trusting in and relying on him, what he has done for you at the cross. And you're like, okay, well, then what do I do after I become a Christian? Live by faith. This is what he wants. This is what he wants. This is the response that he wants from human beings is to live by faith faith. We're, we're reminded of some great joy when we come to this table. 
when, when we're at this table, we're doing this swinging back and then looking forward, right? This, this is what we do here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a, a swing in a, in a playground where you have to kick back to get forward momentum. This is not new to me. I'm stealing this. But uh, you kick back and you move forward, right? This is what we're doing here. We're kicking back and we're looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're drawing hope and we're drawing love. We're, we're drawing joy from that. We're also kick, we're, we're kicking forward and we're looking at what God's going to do when Christ returns and he makes all things new. <laughs> this is what King Jesus wanted us to be doing at this table. On a night on which he was being betrayed, being rejected, the night before his death on the cross, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? It was hard, but not too hard. And he, he laid down his life so that sinners like you and me could be restored to him in relationship. In the same way, he took the cup. And after he blessed it, he gave it to them. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And so not only is it about us as individuals being brought into this new joy-filled relationship by faith, but it's being in a community of folks that have done that. And we get to experience that joy, not just as individuals, but as a community. And then Jesus, he says, okay, I want you to do that till I come back. Do that till I come back. That's what I mean. He's like, I want you to kick back, and I want you to swing forward. And I want you to do that over and over and over again, because you need to draw hope, you need to draw joy, you need to draw love from those poles into the now. And I don't know if anybody in here needs that, but I need that. I need it this morning. I, I need that explosive power to just push that old cynicism out of there, that unbelief, the, 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 the struggle that, that, that creeps up in my heart. I need that gospel to come in there and blow it out. Right? And that's what we're doing here. Hearing the word preached, seeing the word in the, in the broken bread, and the poured out cup, and being reminded nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we do cry out with the psalmist for help. Help in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But didn't just make heaven and earth. <laughs> Saved heaven and earth, <laughs> including us. Lord, we're, we're, we're so grateful that there is nothing too hard for you. And we confess to you this morning, our faith is weak. God, our default is to go to the natural and not to rely on the supernatural living God that's in our lives. Even though you've proven it, God, help us. Help us to rely on you. Help us to, to wait expectantly as we rely on you. Help us to draw joy from the gospel as we wait expectantly on you. And we do pray, God, that you would do the supernatural in our midst. Lord, thank you for the, the church that you've gathered in such a short amount of time. God, we see that as supernatural. This is something that you're 
at work doing. And we're trusting you're going to continue to do that, God. And we pray the simple prayers this morning of, Lord, build up our church. Encourage each one in the room. God, free people from anxiety and depression and addiction and broken relationships with friends and family. God, God come into these places of, of, of darkness, of chaos, and, and, and bring light, bring form, bring a filling of, of something that only you could do in the lives of each one. God, thank you that you've paid the price on the cross in order to make those things possible. And we celebrate that as we take this bread and cup and ask you to bless it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never done this with us before, if you're a Christ follower, you're, you're welcome at the table. And uh, so the way this is going to work, folks are going to make a line in the middle. Uh, going to come to me. I'm going to give you a piece of bread. And then Steve's going to give you a, a cup. And then you go back to your seat and you take it whenever you're ready. You can pray. Uh, you consider what you're hearing. What, whatever the Lord is doing to work in, in your heart this morning. If you're not yet a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. And we're obviously encouraging you to take Christ <laughs> by faith. But if you're not there yet, we're going to ask you not to take of the bread and the cup because it is a signifier that you are a follower of Christ. Let's begin.